to you from Romans chapter 10. And I want to begin at the first verse, Romans chapter 10, beginning with verse 1. The scripture says this, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. My heart's desire and prayer for Israel is that they might be saved. Verse 2, for I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Verse 3, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Amen. And so I want to speak to you a little bit about submitting to the righteousness of God. I could stand here tonight and sum all this up by saying, everybody do what you're supposed to do. We can all stand and pray and dismiss. And that would be nice, wouldn't it, if that was as easy as it was. That we all just did what we're supposed to do. That we all just concentrated on the things God called us to focus our attention on. We overcame the flesh. That we resisted the devil. That we submitted ourselves to God. And we saw the work of the Lord accomplished in our life. At the end of the day, this is what the wise man Solomon said. He said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Let us hear the conclusion. After everything is said, after everything is done, after everything is tried, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. So we could just get up here and say, everybody read this book and do what it says to do. All right, we'll see you all Sunday. But it's not how it goes. It, because in, it, it's, it's one thing to say it, it's another thing to do it. It's one thing to believe it. It's another thing to put that belief in action. And, and belief is truly an action. Faith is truly an action. Without works, faith is dead. And so we must put our faith into action. And the challenge of living for God really does come down to submitting to the righteousness of God. Oh, the righteousness of God. What a beautiful concept that is. God defines righteousness. What is righteousness? Righteousness is found in the root word, right. Righteousness is what is right. Righteousness is what is good. Righteousness is what is true. And, and that is what righteousness is. And the world is not the arbiter of that. Righteousness is Truth, it is forever settled in heaven. And God does not even change what is righteous and what is unrighteous. Righteousness is the nature of God and God cannot lie. God is true. Everything about God is true. Everything about his nature is right. And so righteousness has to do with the nature of God and we see the nature of of God on full display in Jesus Christ. And so this is why the Bible says to us in the words of the Apostle Paul that Christ has made unto us wisdom, redemption, 
sanctification, and righteousness. Because he is the personification of those beautiful things. Wisdom is not an abstract idea. Wisdom is a person. And his name is Jesus. Sanctification is not an abstract concept. It's a person. And his name is Jesus. Redemption and righteousness. These are not abstract concepts or ideas. These are all found wrapped up in the person that is Jesus Christ. So look to him again. Look at the Sermon on the Mount where he told us to be salt of the earth. Where he told us to be the light of the world. Where he told us to be a city on a hill that cannot be hid. Where he told us that if someone smites our face to turn the cheek and let them smite the other side of it. Where he told us that if someone asks for a coat to give them both the coat and the cloak. That if someone asks us to walk a mile, take a second mile. It's where we get the concept of going the extra mile. It came from the Lord Jesus Christ. In your relationships, go the extra mile. In your responsibilities, go the extra mile. This, this is righteous living. Righteous living. Integrity has a lot to do with righteous living. When you are integral with your character, this means that you are who you are and you always are who you are. Who you say you are versus who you actually are. These do not need to be two different things. You know when the... Bible gives us the account of Isaac, his eyes waxing dim with age, and him lying on his bed of death and affliction. Here came Jacob to the room, dressed as Esau, claiming to be Esau, smelling like Esau, bringing food that Esau would bring, but he wasn't Esau. Everything checked out that he was Esau, but he wasn't Esau. His voice was Jacob. Isaac said so. He said, you sound like Jacob, but everything about you says you're Esau. Your hands, those are Esau's hands, but your voice is Jacob's. Here's the, here's the, the, the point we should derive. So many, but the one I want to zero in on. Who we say we are needs to match what our hands are doing. What we profess need to, needs to match what we actually are living. When we profess to be a child of God, be a child of God. When we profess to be a Christian, be a Christian. When we profess to be a friend, be a friend. When we profess to be noble, be noble. And we should profess all of these things. We absolutely should profess all of these things. These need to be our profession. Amen. You know, professional we think of that in terms of career. Really, a professional is just simply somebody who has devoted their life to a thing. Profession has to do with your life, your lifestyle, and what consumes your life. And so we need to be professional in all that we do in living for the Lord. Amen. I, it's time for us to stop being amateur Christians. We need to know how to be children of God. We need to know how to be believers. You know, the very least that a believer should do is believe. 
If we're going to claim, how many believers we got in the house of God? How many believers? I need to see a show of hands. How many believers we got in the house of God? Then believe. Believe in his power. Believe in his love. Believe in his miracle working greatness. Believe in the goodness of God. Believe in the word of God. Believe in heaven. Believe in hell. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Praise the Lord. And so righteousness is what we all should want, should need, should live for, should be. We need to be righteous, righteous people. And our challenge comes as it did in Romans 10 verse 3. We're like those who have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Now, many people talk about righteousness. And sometimes they talk about unrighteousness and sometimes they talk about self-righteousness did you know that self-righteousness is not mentioned in the word of God and the reason is because there is no such thing as self-righteousness there's only righteousness and unrighteousness self-righteousness is just our dressing up of the word unrighteousness Self-righteousness kind of glosses over. We kind of, we kind of make it sound better than what it actually is. It's not, it's not self-righteousness. It's just good old-fashioned unrighteousness. And it's just our attempt to not submit to the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God is all that matters. The righteousness of God is what will save our errant soul. And so we submit ourselves to the righteousness of God. But the Apostle Paul to the church at Rome expresses his desire. He said, my heart's desire, my prayer to God is that Israel would be saved. That's what I want them to be. I want them to be saved. Let's don't ever lose that heartfelt desire and prayer that above all else we must be saved. You being saved is more important than you being blessed. You being saved is more important than you being liked. You being saved is more important than us living. More important than us living is for us to be saved for all of eternity. This is why martyr after martyr has laid down their life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they've done so because they had an eternal view of the paradise and the new Jerusalem. Understanding that above all else I must be saved. Hallelujah. How many have sung that song? Above all else, I must be saved. Glory to God. They even went as far as to say, and, and, and people try to be careful. They get a little nervous singing these lyrics. Whatever you have to do to me, don't let me be lost for eternity. For above all else, I must be saved. You know what? Don't be afraid to sing that song. Don't be afraid to say those lyrics. Don't ever be afraid to talk to God about anything. And certainly when it comes to eternity, always be willing to talk to God and ask Him for salvation. So the writer says, my heart's desire, my prayer to God is that Israel might be saved. He said they have a zeal of God, but they don't have it according to knowledge. That's dangerous to have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. The Bible says... My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. 
And this is true because a lot of people, in their lack of knowledge, they have destroyed many people. We must have a knowledge of God. We must have a knowledge of the holy things of God. Verse 3, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. So now we understand. We understand why it's hard to submit ourselves to the righteousness of God. It is hard to submit ourselves to the righteousness of God when one, we are ignorant of God's righteousness and two, when we go about to establish our own righteousness. When we go about to establish our own righteousness and are ignorant of God's righteousness, that's when we have trouble submitting to the righteousness of God. So the antithesis of that then is true. If we are knowledgeable about the righteousness of God and we do not go about to establish our own righteousness, then we submit ourselves freely to the righteousness of God. So the answer to how do I submit to the righteousness of God? How many want to submit to the righteousness of God? If you're like the Apostle Paul, and we all are, myself included, in Romans chapter 7, he went through a discourse of how challenging he found it to do good when evil was present with him. He said, what am I supposed to do about this? I want to do right. But when I try to do right, I have a hard time doing right. I want to do good, but when I go to do good, evil is present with me. I do that that I would not, and what I would not, that I do. I, it was a little, actually a little confusing if you read it. You should read it tonight, Romans chapter 7. That that I would not, I do, and I do that what I would not, what I would have, what, 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 how much woodchuck can a woodchuck... What, it's a little challenging sometimes, but, but when you understand what he's saying, he's saying, listen, there are things I really want to do that are good, that are holy, that are right, that are pure, but then I have a hard time when it comes time to actually doing them. And then the evil that I don't want anything to do with, that's the stuff that actually I find easy to do. He's describing the body of this death. He concludes that chapter by saying, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? It's this body that, that is wanting to do wrong when I know to do right. It's this body that wants to do right but ends up doing wrong. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And he tells us in Romans 10 verse 3 what the real challenge is. People have a hard time submitting to the righteousness of God when they are one, ignorant of God's righteousness and two, go about establishing their own righteousness. So we want to not be ignorant of the righteousness of God. He told us in one place that it was the law that helped him to understand what sin was. That without the law he didn't even know what sin was. Sin is defined by the law of God. So before God gave Moses his law in the holy mountain, wrapped up in ten commands, God gave this law to Moses, inscribed it upon tablets of stone, gave it to him, told him to give it unto the people, and you will find 
that if everybody would keep these commandments of God, what a wonderful world this would be. Imagine a world, just let's just for a moment, imagine the world where nobody was in danger of ever being killed. Murder wasn't in anybody's heart. That there was no killing. And Jesus took it to a spiritual place and said it's not just physical killing, but when you hate, you, you're, you're killing. It's spiritual. It's not just physical. So imagine a world where there was no killing and there was no hate. Whew. What a wonderful world this would be. Imagine a world where nobody stole. Where nobody was being defrauded. Where nobody was being robbed, burglarized. People were able to gain their goods, keep them, and never have to worry about scam artists, con artists. Never had to worry about burglary. Imagine a world. Oh, what a wonderful world this would be. Imagine a world where no one committed adultery. A sin that includes all forms of sexual sin. Where people were faithful, where they were faithful to their spouse. Imagine a world where people controlled themselves and had wholesome desires. And where they were cognizant of the needs of their spouse and they were faithful to them even before marriage. See, if you're not married, you need to be faithful to who you may marry even now. That's where so many problems come. Outside the context of one man and one woman in holy matrimony. Whether it be premarital, extramarital, same sexual. Those are all sins. Those are all sins against God. And so they're not to be practiced. Imagine a world where people were wholesome. When people, if people were to practice in the context of marriage between one man and one woman in holy matrimony, imagine the kind of world this would be. Jealousies and anger and malice and all of the, all of the various rage that comes from people who have been hurt and wounded by unfaithfulness. Wouldn't even exist. Wouldn't even exist. What a wonderful world this would be. Imagine a world where people didn't lie, where people didn't falsely accuse. Imagine a world where people didn't covet what other people had. They were actually content with what they had. Imagine a world where people took the seventh day and rested. It's in there. Imagine a day where people actually took a day, a world in which people actually took a day and recuperated from their labor. Imagine a world where people actually work for six days. That's as much a part of the Sabbath teaching as is the day of rest. It's, he did not just say, thou shalt rest on the seventh day. He also said, you shall labor for six. We get that turned around sometimes. Work for one and rest for six. But that's not the way it's supposed to be. 
labor for six days. Put a good, hard day's worth of work. Be productive. Your life will be better if you follow this command of God. Be productive. And then on that seventh day, let it be holy unto the Lord. Rest. Take your rest. Give your body rest. Imagine what a world. Imagine the, 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 the lack of stress. The lack of, 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 of just pinned up frustration that people have. Imagine a world where you didn't take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, but you cherished it. Where you worshipped his name. Where you took his name in baptism and all sin was washed away. Imagine a world where parents were honored. Fathers and mothers were honored. Imagine a world, ladies and gentlemen, where the commandments of God were kept. Now, we can imagine that all we want to. But the only way any of that is possible is if the first two commandments are kept. The first two commandments. There's a reason they're the first two. Because they lay the foundation for the rest to be kept. And the reason our world can't keep these other commandments is because the first two are in total disarray. The scripture says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. This is, you know, what I just said, most people would agree. Yeah, that's, that'd be great if nobody killed or stole or lied. Sure, that'd be awesome. And they agree that that is true and righteous. But what they don't agree with is that first command. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Because that's the only way the others can be kept is if you put God first. You can't, you can't will yourself to not lie. Will yourself to not hate. Will yourself to never covet. You can't do that. It can only come by the handiwork of God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And thou shalt not bow down yourself to any graven image. You shall not make any graven image unto you. And we do that in a variety of ways in our modern popular culture. But it's idolatry. In fact, our good friend Brother David Myers was helping to argue before the United States Supreme Court. It was a Ten Commandments case whether the Ten Commandments could be, could be uh, actually placed in a public square. And the argument of the team that was suggesting they should be, was saying that they're not just a religious document, but they are a historical document akin to Magna Carta, Declaration of Independence, and so forth. Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, while she was still living, really scowled at the idea and said, have you even read the first two commandments? She said the very first commandment and the second Demand exclusivity of worship. And she's right, they do. And she didn't like that. She felt that should be open. That, that, that's, that's, that's neither here nor there. But you'll never get to enjoy that joy of the other eight. Unless you commit to the first two. This is the righteousness of God. And this is what tells us what is right and what is wrong. What is holy and what is profane. This tells us what is wicked and what is pure. This tells us what is clean and unclean. Ezekiel said that we have a responsibility to teach what is holy. 
and what is profane. The Apostle Paul comes in to several of his epistles. Notice with me what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 9. He said, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? And he begins to list the unrighteous. I'm trying to help us understand what is the righteousness of God. He lists what is unrighteousness. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, that is all sexual sin, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, and there's a lot of idolatry that goes on in the world today. Hey, I want the Bengals to win too, but but that's not my God. Only one God. Hallelujah. Nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. That's actually a reference to the sin of homosexuality. And the effeminate is, is important to recognize how that the writer separates that. Men are to be men. They're to act like men. They're to dress like men. They're to practice the masculinity of courage and faithfulness. Hallelujah. And the scripture says, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, before we all get up on our pedestal and start looking down on all the thieves and revilers and covetous and idolaters and adulterers, he goes on to say, and such were some of you. But you are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Notice what he said. In the name of the Lord Jesus, that's a reference to baptism in Jesus' name. And by the Spirit of our God, that's a reference to the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Before Acts 2.38 experience, we were thieves, we were covetous, we were drunkards, we were revilers, we were extortioners. We were all these things. We were unrighteous and we were not going to inherit the kingdom of God. But thanks be to God who hath given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And let me say something to you ladies and gentlemen. If you're saved, be saved. Live saved. Walk in the power of the Holy Ghost. Don't walk after the rudiments of this world. Walk in the power of the Holy Ghost. Be not ignorant of the righteousness of God. We're living in a world where you can do whatever you want to do, live however you want to live, act however you want to act, be with whoever you want to be with. And, uh, and many people in the Christian community will say, you're just fine. But the Bible doesn't mention anything about the Christian community. There's a big difference between the Christian community and the body of Christ. And let me tell you something, this body of Christ is also his bride. And he's coming back for a glorious church. A bride without spot, without wrinkle, washed in the blood of the Lamb. And the Bible says that the spots are like the spots that enter into the feast of charity. The book of Jude describes them as people. Spots in the bride of Christ is a reference to people. I don't want to be one of the spots. On the bride of Christ. Let me tell you something. As we get closer to the coming of the Lord. You're going to see people fall away. Don't be alarmed by that. We should be troubled. We should pray. We should, we, it should disturb us. It should grieve us. Our hearts desire in prayers that they might be saved. 
But don't you think that the church is weakening? Oh, no, God's just getting her ready. God's just getting her ready. It ought, it ought to put the fear of God in our hearts when we start feeling a tug to worldly things. Because everything that can be shaken shall be shaken. I don't want to be shaken by what is happening in my world. Hallelujah. Yeah. Oh, hey, listen. Listen, there'll be a strong delusion. There was a, there was a, the Bible says God shall send a strong delusion. If you've got a corrupt heart, if you've got a corrupt spirit, if you've got a corrupt mind, if you don't love God and appreciate the things of God, God will move you out of his church to prepare his church for his coming. Yes, he will. Because he's coming back for a spotless bride. Without spot and without wrinkle, there is a separation of the wheat from the tares. It's happening. It's happening right now. And it ought, to, it ought to put the fear of God in our hearts. You ought, to, you ought to hit the altar saying, God, let me be numbered with the saints. Let me be numbered with the people of God. Because the Bible says that God will send a strong delusion. You don't want to be on the receiving end of God sending a strong delusion. One man turned his back on the things of God. He met with my grandfather and said to him, he said, Brother Urshan, he said, I, I've come to know that everything I've preached through the years is false. I've come to know. I have had an eye-opening experience that the truth that I called it, the truth that I've preached is false. And he said, and it has come from God. This understanding has come from God. And he told my grandfather this. And my grandfather listened to him. And the man said, you know what? He said, you'll never admit it. But you know that what I have received has come from God. And my grandfather said, that's where you're wrong. I will admit it. It did come from God. Not as a revelation of truth. But as a strong delusion. That you would believe a lie and be damned. Because your heart is not settled on the things of God. And he's moving you out. I'm telling you, folks, you, we've, got to, we've got to be serious about this thing called salvation. My God. If I'm not going to be serious about the things of God, God's not going to let me just sit around and destroy his people. He'll move me aside. I want to be right with God. I want to submit myself to the righteousness of God. I want to live holy. I want to be pure. I want to be a good man. I want to be an honorable husband and father and pastor and believer and saint of God. That's who I want God to make me to be. And I can't be that if I'm ignorant of the righteousness of God. And I can't be that if I'm going to go about establishing my own righteousness. So when you're ignorant of the righteousness of God, and listen, there are a lot of people in our world who are ignorant of the righteousness of God. And God wants to save them. Do you know that's why we have to preach against sin? God hates sin. Not because God is a hater, but because sin separates us from Him. So in other words, God hates sin because He loves us. And He wants to be in communion with us. So God hates the sin that separates us from him. 
But people in our world are ignorant of the righteousness of God. They don't know that adultery is a sin. They don't know that it's the source of so many of their problems. They don't realize that covetousness is not an emotion, that a vice that you can allow to fester in your spirit. So they sit around all day long emulating others, wishing they had what the Joneses had. And it's creating a discontent, creating an envy and a fear. And on and on the vicious process goes. They're ignorant of the righteousness of God. So they go about to establish their own righteousness. Their own righteousness. And they start describing what is right and what is wrong. And they're not getting it from the word of God. They're getting it from what feels right. And they're getting it from what the world says is right. Now, if you remember, God told Adam and Eve not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was the issue. That they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and they wanted to be like God's. Knowing good and evil. So I want you to understand that is the root of where sin comes from. Is man seeking to have the knowledge of good and evil. What does that mean? Here's what that means. Man wishing he could determine what is good and what is evil. What is right and what is wrong. That is the original sin of man. That they would... Say, I'll be a God unto myself. I will decide what is right and what is wrong. And adultery feels right. So I'm going to commit adultery. And hatred feels, it feels right. So I'm going to be hateful. And jealousy and envy, envy feels, ah, feels good to me. So I'm going to be envious. They are eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil Determining what is right and what is wrong. And you've got to submit yourself to God's authority of determining what is right and what is wrong. You've got to submit yourself to where when this book, and it will if you'll let it, exposes your sin to you, you repent from it. You don't, you don't double down. You don't grit your teeth and get mad at God. You say, Lord... You've exposed my sin to me. You've shown me the error of my way. You've shown me my arrogance. You've shown me my self-unrighteousness. You've shown me where I'm wrong. And I submit to your righteousness. Hallelujah. The apostle James said that it's like a mirror. It's like beholding your face in a glass that shows you all your flaws. You know, I love this book. I love this book. This book is so precious. How many love this great book? Do you love this great book? And you ought to read it every morning and afternoon and night as much as you possibly can. Eat it up, love it, live it. And it'll comfort you, but it won't just comfort you. It'll also correct you. And love it, love it then just as much as you do, just as much as you do when it says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. You should love it just as much then as when it says to you, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Let it correct you. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for correction, for doctrine. 
for reproof, for instruction, for righteousness sake. Hallelujah. That's what this word of God is profitable for. That's, and, and when the word corrects you, listen, it's different than when anybody else tries to correct you. We're human. We don't like to be corrected. It's embarrassing to be corrected. How many have been embarrassed by correction? I remember on my senior high school trip, uh, we were in Washington, D.C., and my, my buddy said, hey, Joel, take a picture of this, and he jumped up on a light pole, hanging from a light pole. It seemed innocent enough. We were ignorant of the law of, in Washington, D.C., and I'm snapping a picture, and he's hanging from the light pole, and here came a policeman on a horse. And he looked at my friend and said, how'd you like to go to jail? Well, we didn't want to do that. It was embarrassing to him when he was corrected for something he didn't know was wrong. Correction is never easy. It's, it's, not, it's not pleasant. But I don't know how to describe this, but when God corrects you, there's something about it. You feel loved when he corrects you. When he comes in with his still small voice and just kind of puts his hand on his face and his elbow next to you and just says, it's not the way to do it. You're doing it wrong. If you do it this way, it'll lead to life everlasting. There's something about that, ladies and gentlemen. That correct, let him correct you like that. Take it when he corrects you like that. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Take the gentle nudge of correction while we have it. Hallelujah. Be not ignorant of the righteousness of God and do not go about to establish your own righteousness. Don't decide what is right and what is wrong. Let the word of God decide what is right and what is wrong. Don't you decide what is good and what is evil. Let the word of God decide what is good and what is evil. Don't argue with God. Don't contend with God. Let the Lord be true and every man a liar. This is how. We submit to the righteousness of God. We acquaint ourselves with what is holy so that we can understand what is unholy and how to avoid it. Notice what the word of God says in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Here they go again. You can find all of these wrapped up in the Ten Commandments somewhere. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. Idolatry, there it is again, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings. And then he just puts a broad sweep stroke over it and says, and such like. In other words, there's a lot more where that came from. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things. Now listen, you're not going to hear this across every pulpit in America in 2022. But you're going to hear it tonight. They which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't establish your own righteousness. Don't be ignorant of the righteousness of God. Submit to the righteousness of God. Praise the Lord. How do I do that? You know what righteousness is. And we know what righteousness is. We looked at the Ten Commandments. And, and therein you see. You see all 
just, just a broad array of how a holy and pleasant life can be lived if you will truly practice these commands. Now here's the problem. The Pharisees tried to do that. And they acted like they did, but they were hypocrites. They would do it on the outside, but on the inside, they were like a graveyard. On the outside, they looked like they had everything together, but on the inside, they were full of dead men's bones. They had cleaned the outside of the platter, but the inside of the platter was unclean. Jesus said, clean the inside of the platter first. And he said, then that which is on the outside. He didn't leave the outside undone. He didn't say, oh, just as long as the inside's okay, the outside doesn't matter. That's not what he said. He said, you clean the inside, and then you're in a position to take care of the outside of the platter. Glory to God. And so, it's important that we, that we do this. Now, here's what you have to understand about righteousness, and I'm coming to a close, but hear me. This is what you have to understand about righteousness. You can try to keep those commandments all you want, and you'll never be able to do it. Because the commandments are not found in our ability to keep them. They are found in the fact that Jesus Christ has kept each one, both the spirit and the letter. And the only way we can keep them is if we're in Christ. Glory to God. Woo! My God. My God. I'm going to tell you, you say, how's that even, what are you talking about? Because if I try to keep these commandments by myself, and let's say I achieve a few of them. Let's say I do. Let's say I achieve a couple of these commandments, and I'm, I'm keeping them pretty good. Then I start to develop a pride about the way I've kept these commandments. And all of a sudden, I've got a God before the Lord my God. And that God is me. No, the only way to keep them is to understand that Jesus paid it all. That Jesus lived the life we must live but can't. That Jesus lived the life of obedience that we have and will always find impossible in our flesh to live. And he did it so that we could enter into him. And that's when we can keep the commandments of God. Let me, let me say this. That's why we call them commands and not demands. If they're demands, then that is just God standing on the outside of it saying, don't do this and don't do that and don't do this and don't do that. But they're not demands. They're commands. Like a, like a, like a commander would command an army. They are commands. In other words, he goes out with them and fights with them. That's what God did. When he became a man, he became a man and he lived, thou shalt not kill. He lived, thou shalt not bear false witness. He lived, thou shalt have no other gods before me. He lived, thou shalt not covet. He lived, thou shalt not steal. He lived, thou shalt not commit adultery. He lived, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. He lived, honor thy father and thy mother. He lived what we were incapable of living. Hallelujah. And when he lived it, the record of him living it is found in his blood. He took that body of his to the cross where they crucified him as a spotless lamb. Sinless, though tempted in all points as we are tempted. And then he was buried in a borrowed tomb. 
because he was buried in a borrowed tomb as a sinless man. Death had no jurisdiction over his body. He rose from the dead and is alive forevermore. He is not in a tomb in Jerusalem. He is not there. He is risen. He is alive forevermore. His is a name that lives. His is a body that lives. And when you're baptized into that name, you're baptized into that body. That's a resurrected body. And the same thing that happened to his body will happen to your body on that great getting up morning when all the saints shall rise. When the roll is called up yonder, what happened to his body will happen to your body. There is a quickening power of the Holy Ghost that lives inside of us that makes us righteous. And all of a sudden, the temptation comes. But because we're in Jesus Christ, because we're filled with His Spirit, the temptation comes and the Holy Ghost rises up against the temptation. And now you're not just fighting it with your willpower. Oh, I hope I don't do that. Oh, I hope I don't think that. Oh, I hope I don't go. All of a sudden, you're not by yourself. The Holy Ghost rises up within you and starts to fight an old temptation. It conquered many years ago when Jesus walked the face of this earth (laughs) as the only begotten son of the living God. My God, let me tell you something. You can be righteous because Jesus already was. He has made unto us wisdom, redemption, sanctification, and righteousness. Hallelujah. You seriously need to know this. And I'm coming to a close. I know I've said it twice. Three strikes, you're out. But I won't say it a third time. You need to know this. When the temptation comes... You're not by yourself. You're not fighting it on your own. The Holy Ghost will rise up within you and fight for you. (laughs) Somebody that knows what I'm talking about, I need you to be a witness in this house. Come on, stand with me right now and say, God is my fortress. God is my refuge. God is my shelter. God is my constant companion. God is my faithful witness. Woo! Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hey, you can be faithful to your husband. You can be faithful to your wife. You can be honorable at the workplace. You can be honorable in your mind. You can be honorable in the way you treat people. You can be holy. You can be pure. You can be righteous when you submit yourself to the righteousness of God. Ah, Lord, have mercy. Glory to God. Do you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that we are to cast down every imagination and that we are to pull down every stronghold and that we are to bring, listen to this, bring into captivity every thought, okay? Now that's part of our biggest challenge, our our thoughts. Our thoughts are just running all wild all over the place. We look like we got it all together. We got our suit, coat, button, our tie straight and we're talking and being nice and our thoughts are just everywhere. And Paul said, get them and bring them into captivity. Well, what is captivity? How do you lock up your thoughts? Brother Sizemore, how do we lock up our thoughts, these things that are just running renegade? How do you lock those up? Where do you put them? This is where he said to put them. 
to the obedience of Christ. What is the obedience of Christ? The obedience of Christ is the obedience he demonstrated when he walked this earth. He was so obedient. He was so perfect. He was so above sin. And Paul said, get those thoughts and you put them in his obedience because they are no match for his perfection. Thoughts of fear, thoughts of worry, thoughts of lust, thoughts of pride, thoughts of envy, thoughts of anger, thoughts of hate, thoughts of malice. Take those thoughts. Say, no, 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 no. You guys don't get to just run rogue and treat me bad and make me feel horrible about myself. No, you've got to come into the perfection and obedience of Jesus Christ because he has already conquered you on my behalf. I am submitted to the righteousness of God. I don't go about establishing my own righteousness like like I can do this. I know I can't do this. And the day I came to that understanding was the release I needed. I can't do it. But you already did. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I can't do it. It's right, I can't do it. So how am I doing it? Because I am. Not I, but Christ that liveth in me. Hallelujah. I am crucified with Christ. I am submitted to the righteousness of God. I am crucified with Christ. And yet I live. Not I, but Christ which liveth in me. He's doing the work. He's doing the work. He's the one who isn't envying. And it's me. I'm the one who's free of envy. But it's him who's not envying. I'm content because Christ in me is content. I'm forgiving because he's in me forgiving everybody. I'm actually able to practice some humility. And I'm I'm the least humble of anybody I know. And yet... All this humility is coming from me. It's not me. It's Jesus. I'm at peace. I'm at peace. And I got all kind of chaos going on. It's not me. It's Jesus. Woo! Hallelujah. I'm being holy. I'm being pure. I'm being faithful. and, And yet not I. But Christ which liveth in me. Somebody who believes he'll do it for you right now. If you'll submit to the righteousness of God. Lift your hands unto the Lord. And let him do the work in your life. Let him do the work in your heart. Glory to God. I'm going to tell you, you get this understanding and you'll serve him all the days of your life. He'll stop being a challenge to serve God. It'll be a joy to serve the Lord. It'll be a joy to serve the Lord. Glory, glory, glory. Come on, that's it. All together, let's submit ourselves to the righteousness of God. Lord, I thank you for giving me victory over sin. Thank you for giving me victory over immorality. Thank you for giving me victory. Hallelujah. Over pain and past hurt. Thank you, Lord, for giving me victory over the temptation of the enemy. Thank you, Lord, for giving me victory. Thank you, Lord, for giving me victory. Thank you, Lord, for giving me victory. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, lift those hands unto him. 
Lift those hands and hearts unto the Lord right now. Lift those hands and hearts unto the Lord. <laughs> Woo, hallelujah, hallelujah. Holiness. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Holiness. It's what, I, it's what you want from me. in this place. I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. Thank you, Jesus, Lord. Holiness, holiness is what I long for. Holiness, holiness is what I need. Oh, yes. Holiness, holiness is what you Take my will, take my will, conform 
wonder if we could all just lift up our hands unto the Lord right now and begin to just pray a prayer of repentance right now. Oh, how beautiful it is for God's people to turn from any wicked way, any sinful attitude. Lord, purify my heart and my mind and my spirit. Cleanse me, O oh Lord, from evil ways. Cleanse me, Lord, from the wickedness, from the wickedness of the enemy. Lord, help me, I pray in Jesus' name. Wash me thoroughly from all iniquity and transgression of your laws. Help me, Lord, to love your law. Great peace have they that love thy law. Hallelujah. Let me be submitted unto your righteousness. Take my stubbornness and rebellion away from me, Lord. Take my stubbornness and rebellion. Take my resistance away from me. Cleanse me, O oh God. Cleanse me, O oh God. Take any unforgiveness or bitterness from my heart, Lord. Take any emulation or envy or covetousness out of my spirit, oh God. Yes, Lord Jesus. I'm going to tell you, pray prayers like this and God will do it. And he'll give you peace. Hallelujah. He'll give you peace. He'll give you peace. Yes, he will. He'll give you peace. Hallelujah. 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 Woo. Blessed be your name, oh God. He said the kingdom of heaven is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And it matters, those spiritual qualities, sometimes, sometimes we, we just think he just threw any kind of, any old word in there. Righteousness, peace, and joy, sure, that'll work. He could have put faith, hope, and love, but he didn't, because it matters what qualities we're talking about. And it matters their order. Righteousness, peace, and joy. Righteousness comes first. You can't have peace and joy until you have righteousness. The reason you don't have peace and joy is somewhere righteousness is lacking. But if you'll submit to the righteousness of God, He will, he will give you peace. And when He gives you peace, peace is just so still and wonderful and tranquil and serene. You can breathe with peace. But he just doesn't want to give you peace. He wants to give you joy. He wants to put laughter in your soul. <laughs> he, he wants to give you reason to be happy again. But it starts with righteousness. Submit to righteousness. And he'll give you the stillness of peace. And the laughter of joy. Glory to God. And you'll be living in a little bit of heaven right here on earth. Sitting together in Christ Jesus in heavenly places. He is for you, not against you. Let him do it for you right now. One more time, let's lift our praises unto the Lord and thank him for his word. God, we praise you. Take my will, control.